So we've been talking in Advent about hope, hoping against hope, hoping against hope, hoping um, and the anticipated expectation of what God's going to do even when the situations look hopeless. And we've talked about how hope is a person, and so he becomes our hope when we have full loyalty to him. And hope is living out the promises of God. So basing our lives and our expectations on what he says, not on what we think might be nice. And so my desire is for you, and, and I thought maybe we should have a craft time and have everybody make a, an ornament or something to hang up as our 2023 Advent season. Hope against hope could be that. So that it becomes a takeaway. It becomes an anchor, because that's how strong this is. Because we all will face situations that look hopeless, that look like there's, this is not going to be good, this is not going to go anywhere, this is going to be awful, this, God's not going to show up. And we need to hope against hope. When things look like they can't, not, so we looked at Abraham, we looked at Paul, we looked at different people, when the situations look like there wasn't a chance, but God shows up. And that's what he wants for each one of us. Hope against hope. That's our, that's our, I hope you take that away from this season. But as good, and, and really, as I think about our utmost for his highest, our devotional book from this past year, there's a lot of that theme in there too. Mm-hmm. There's hoping on God, putting our hope on God, regardless of what happens. So that's kind of been the theme for the year, even though we didn't realize it in many ways. As good as hope, so let's, let's do the, the test. First candle is the candle of hope. Second candle, peace. Third candle, joy. As good as those are, none of them compare with the fourth one, and that is love. Love. What does love mean? was a question posed to a group of four to, six, four to eight-year-olds. Here we go. You ready for this? What does love mean? When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) That's a different kind of love. I didn't realize that's what dating was. (laughs) Love is when you go out to eat and give someone most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas 
if you stop opening presents and listen. There's some wisdom here in these little, little ones. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Love is a little, like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. <laughs> so, what was it? They need to go smell each other? During my piano recital, I was on stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and saw my daddy waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that, and I wasn't scared anymore. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. <laughs> Love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. Love is when mommy sees daddy smelly and sweaty and still says he's handsomer than Brad Pitt. <laughs> you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And then finally, author and lecturer Leo Biscaglia was asked to be a judge for a contest designed to identify, quote, the most caring child. The winner was a four-year-old boy whose next-door neighbor was an elderly gentleman who had recently lost his wife. Upon seeing the man weeping, the little boy went into the old gentleman's yard climbed onto his lap and simply sat there and sat there and sat there. When his mother asked him what he had said to the neighbor, the little boy replied, nothing. I just helped him cry. That's love. What's interesting to me is these are, none of them, quote, Christian and yet, expressions of love and care are recognized by people all over the world. They're recognized because there's something that happens so deep. It, it, it's not just that it, um, we go, yeah, that's, that's nice. It, there's something that touches us here. Because God has made love to touch us here. We, it's very difficult to define it, but we know when we have experienced true, deep love. It touches us. But the reality is true experience God's deepest, truest love as a lifestyle. Even most Christ followers, I think, experience it in a moment, but not as a lifestyle. Not as day after day, moment after moment, knowing that God is there. As, as good as hope and peace and joy are, love is the best. So in your outline, I want to talk about trusting God to live the true love relationship. Trusting Him, leaning into Him, understanding what it's really all about. So right side up biblical love 
is hard to define. I mean, if you go to a commentary or a Bible dictionary or, or any place, you get paragraphs of stuff, and it's like, it's just hard to nail down a short definition. But after all my years, I've come to the conclusion that is love, God's love, is in essence doing what is best for another. The feelings are on the back end, they're the caboose. Love is the action, the choice of will, regardless of how you feel, to do what is best. And God's love is unfailing in doing what is best. That's love. It's overused in our culture. We use the same word for a hot dog as we do for our spouse. Right? Or popcorn. Well, popcorn is kind of, you know. <laughs> but we use that same word. If you, it, so if you go into the Old Testament, one of the words that is used to, uh, that is, is translated in this love theme is hesed. H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And it's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. Not merely as an emotion, but rather as an action on behalf of someone else. Hesed. It's a sense of love and loyalty that results in God's mercy, God's compassion, God's behavior, God's acting on our behalf. So and turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 36. Anybody need a Bible? We've got Bibles in the back. And we got a deliverer. Okay. Psalm 36, beginning with verse 5. Psalm 36, verse 5. Your steadfast love, steadfast love, holding steady, unshakable, unchanging. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. There's no end to it. Your faithfulness. And all of these words go back to Hesed. His describing his love, because, and, and we don't often grasp it because we, when we think of love, we think of an emotion or a feeling or an, maybe an experience. But it's an act of behavior on another's behalf. And so when he says your faithfulness, your dependability, you're never leaving us. It's to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments, your decisions on our behalf are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. God's faithfulness, God's decisions, God's actions, God's righteousness, His right his, what he does is right. All of those are actions. Love and faithfulness, unfailing love. In the New Testament, we find the word agape, which describes the same thing. Agape, love, God's selfless love that sends his only son. So we could talk about love forever, God's love forever, because it's so deep and wide and high and broad. Um, so we're just going to hit some qualities of God's love that hopefully will lead us to knowing how to live in it and experience it day after day after day. Number one, love is the greatest of all. Love is the greatest of all. The culture even agrees with this, right? Love, you know, there's all kinds of songs. Love is all you need. 
Um, we all the secular songs, love, 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 love. You know, Hallmark Channel, just all this stuff. But they don't have a clue what real love is. They're not talking about agape. They're talking about either brotherly love or romantic love. But in 1 Corinthians chapter, the end of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And this is after he's been talking about all the, the good gifts and how the bodies form together and the impact that can be made. He says, and which are all those things that you can do together. He says, but I will show you still a more excellent way. And then he goes into what is considered the love chapter that you probably have heard quoted at weddings out of context. Right? It's about love, but it's a higher love than romantic love. And at the very end of that chapter, verse 13, he says, so now faith Hope and love abide, last. But the greatest of these is love. Love will last forever. God wants us to experience a lifestyle of living in a love relationship with Him because if we do that, when we get into eternity, we'll experience an explosion of love that we can't even comprehend. Because it lasts forever. It lasts forever. And it will be, it's beyond our comprehension. It's the strongest of all. It's the, the most valued of all. It's what we were created for. In, in the Garden of Eden, that's what God created us for. We had work to do, but He created us for love. Doing what is best in our relationship with God with one another, and with the creation. Number two, God is love. God is love, the highest expression of which is sending Jesus to us. God does a lot of things. He has a lot of characters. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is compassionate. God knows everything. He, he um, is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's all-present. He's sovereign. He's all those things. All of those are characteristics of him. But when it comes to who he is, his character, one thing, love. He is the embodiment of love. And out of that love comes everything else. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. This is going to be kind of like a Bible drill today. Just so get your fingers nimble. <clears throat> First John chapter 4 beginning with verse 8 anyone who does not love does not know God because here we go God is love God is love it's not that he loves it's not that he does love not that he shows love all of which he does it is that he is in his very essence love in this, the love of God was made manifest, revealed among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. It wasn't because He felt strong emotion to us. It was because it was for our highest good. He is love. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ultimate love. God is love, and that ultimately 
the ultimate manifestation of that is the incarnation. The only explanation for the way God came to the world is a supernatural, incomprehensible love that we will never grasp. Why would he send his only son? Not just to come into the world, as it was explained to the kids. It would have been so easy. It would have been so much easier if he didn't have to come as a baby. Right? And grow up. And then, and then suffer. And then die for us. It could, God was God. He could, have, he could have designed it any way he wanted. But he designed it like that. And it was because of his love. The only explanation. If you ever come to a place where you think maybe God doesn't care about you, go back to the incarnation. Amen. And then to the cross. Amen. And just by the way, we, the culture makes a big deal out of Christmas. It's nothing without the crucifixion and the resurrection. Number three, we could go, we could go a lot, we could go, we could go. Number three, God's motivation is love. God's motivation, he is love, and his motivation is love, period. There's a lot of misunderstanding about God, especially if people um, go to the Old Testament and they see all the stories that are there and they don't understand what was happening. It's easy to get a, it's easy to get the idea if you're just reading bits and pieces that, God is this really angry, distant, vengeful being that just likes to kill people if you don't straighten up. And nothing could be further from the truth. That's the lie of the enemy that continues to get perpetuated ever since the garden. God's motivation without fail in everything he does is love. Doing what is best for everyone. John 3, 16 and 17. Scripture you're familiar with. For God so loved the world. His motivation was his inexpressible, incomprehensible love for all that he created. Especially the people that he created. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Out of his love, he wants us to live forever. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. There we go. When people start accusing God of being condemning and mean and nasty and wanting to send people to hell, you look at verse 17 and you say, no, that's, that wasn't his motivation. He didn't send his son to condemn. He could have. But because he's love, he couldn't. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's the caveat. For those who refuse to accept a relationship with God, they put themselves in the place of God's, as they position themselves as God's enemy. Because God sent his son to redeem us. And, but if I say no, I've still got my sin. And sin cannot coexist with the holy God. And because it cannot exist, the Bible tells us we become enemies of God. 
because we have refused. Not because God has, has refused or, or it lacks anything, but because we have refused to allow him to save us. God's motivation is love. Number four, God's love is different. God's love is different than anything that we experience in this earthly realm reality. It's, um, there's a lot of confusion in Christianity because even as, as those who claim to follow Christ, our point of reference is this world, which is upside down from God's ways. And so when we look, as we're growing up, and our point of reference is human love, our, which has a lot to do with feelings in our culture. And so we talk, you know, we hear about people falling into love, falling out of love, not feeling like I love, feeling like I do love, and, and, and all based in those emotions and feelings. <clears throat> but without a godly point of reference, we overlay that on God and say, I don't feel like God loves me. Feelings have nothing to do with it. It's the reality of who God is and what God does, because it's a point of reference. <clears throat> when I was in seventh grade, way back in the dark ages, um, athletic shoes were becoming a thing. Before that, there was like two, I forget, they, they, they didn't call them tennis shoes. Well, and the, but these, these I, seventh, so seventh grade, they came out with these white leather athletic shoes. And they became all the thing. And, but our family didn't have much money, and, but everybody was wearing those, and so I wanted a pair of them. And, and I remember looking at the Sunday paper. For those of you that are younger, they used to deliver um, this thing called a newspaper. <laughs> and it would come, and then you would open it up, and then you would use it to put cookies on when you would bake them, and put them in the bottom of the birdcage and start fires. And... But I found an ad <clears throat> from one of the local stores, and they had white athletic shoes that looked just like the ones my friends were wearing, but they were only $10. And I thought, I've hit the mother load. Because I, I, you know, I had allowance, and I, and I talked to my mom, and they had going in on them, so we went and we bought those. And I thought I had become something. Seventh grade with shoes like everybody else. Day three of having those shoes, I was lacing them up and the laces pulled right through the holes. Because they weren't leather. They were fake leather. I don't know what they were made of. Newspapers, I don't know. But it wasn't strong enough to hold the laces. And so I... So from that day forward, I swore I was never going to wear another athletic shoe in my whole life. you believe that? No, because... And some people, because they have a bad experience of what they think God's love should be, they say, if that's what God's love is, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. So if my only point of reference was a fake leather pair of, of, of shoes, then I'm going to swear, I'm, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. 
Isn't that like the, just like the enemy? To give us a false experience and say that's what God is like. That's why you hear people say, if God loved me, he would do so-and-so. If God cared about me, he wouldn't let me endure this. Instead of going back to the point of reference of John 3, 16 and 17 and saying, I don't know what's happening, but here's what I know. If God is willing to sacrifice his own son for me, whatever's happening now is going to be good. God's love is different. Isaiah 55, one of our memory scriptures, applies to his love as well as everything else. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My love is not like your human love. Your human love is a shadow. It's a reflection of the true deep love. For as as high as, as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. True biblical God's love is very different from the upside down kind of love experience that we have as a point of reference. And so... um, Beware of the voice that would say, that would lead you to believe if, you, if God loved me, he would do and then fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. That's what my kids used to say to me. You know, if you love me, you'll buy me the latest game system. If I love you, I'll let you work and earn the money so that when you become an adult, you'll be responsible. If you love me, you would let me stay up all night. If you love me, you wouldn't make this so hard. Beware. Instead, what we should be saying is, God, I know that you love me. Can you help me understand what's going on? Can you help me see what you're seeing? And then, and then pay attention for how he might point you to a memory verse. Or you might be in a conversation, or you might have somebody who helps you understand. Number five, God's love causes him to draw everyone, circle everyone, to himself. God's love causes him to draw everyone to himself. One of the things that I detest is a strain of Christianity that says there are certain people that have born predestined to come to know Jesus Christ, and that which which the the other side of that is that means there are some people who are born not to. As if God has chosen certain people to live forever in heaven and the other people he has pre-chosen to go to hell. And nothing could be further from the truth according to the word of God. He wants to draw all people to himself. So open your Bible to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, if you ever hear the voice of the enemy saying, you know, God doesn't love you like he loves other people, you take him here. Mm -hmm. To these two verses of scripture. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 27, Jesus is, um, has completed most of his ministry. He knows he's headed to the cross very shortly. 
And he says, now is my, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? In other words, I, I, I know I'm going to the cross. I know the pain that's going to be there. So which, what, how should my response be? Should it be, Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Out of his love for us. Rather, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Because he knew he had come to die on the cross for us. Now is the judgment of this world. The time has come for Satan to be defeated. Now the ruler, uh, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, taught, speaking of going to the cross, speaking of being lifted up to the cross, when I am lifted up, will draw, what are the next two words? All people. Not some people. All people to myself. In other words, no one goes through this life without the Spirit of God trying to get their attention to come to Him. Amen. He loves every person. Mm-hmm. Go to and, and 2 Peter. Open your Bible there. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. An affirmation of it by Peter, who was the leader that Jesus put in charge of the disciples when He left. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Because there were people going, why, if Jesus loves us, he'll, he, he would be coming back. Why would he leave us? Why would he leave us? Sometimes I think that too. Come on, Jesus. Don't you see what's happening in the world? And here's the answer. Verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient, long-suffering, enduring toward you. Why? Not wishing that any, circle that word, not one person, not wishing that any person should perish, be lost to eternity in hell, but that all should reach repentance. It is God's desire for every person to come to him because he's love. His character is love. He can't help it. That's because it's who he is. And so when, when people describe God as this vengeful judgment, that's not his desire. What we see in Jesus, he's standing over Jerusalem before he dies and, and he looks at Jerusalem and he cries out. And he goes, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you and not. His desire for giving those who crucified him, desiring for the Pharisees to get to the truth. God's love causes him to draw every single one of us, not just to salvation, but to fully experiencing his love moment by moment, day after day, as we walk in step with him. Amen. That's why he sent his Holy Spirit. It comes down to this. God loves every person so much that he has done everything possible to rescue them. And then he gives us the privilege and the honor of representing him as his hands, his feet, his salt, his light. His desire is for every person to come.
But experiencing that is not automatic. In fact, what we find in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus saying that hard is the way and wide is the gate for those who will go to destruction. Or, or easy is the way. Hard is the way and narrow is the gate for those who actually come to him. So what we know is that the majority of people will not come to Christ because they refuse, which leads us to number six. God's love requires making Jesus Lord. If you want to experience Jesus' Lord, Jesus' love, then you have to put yourself in the place where you can experience it. And if you refuse to turn away from your sin, then you're not going to experience it. So, um, pause to imagine something that you would really, 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 really like to happen. Really, you would just really, just really like to happen. Now, imagine that on Tuesday, because there's no mail tomorrow, on Tuesday you get a, ma- a letter in the mail saying the exact thing that you just hoped for, that you just wanted, is yours. If you'll just come to a certain place at a certain time. In fact, you can have it, it's, and it's more than you could ever imagine, but, but you're going to have to be willing to sell everything you got in order to go to the place where it will be. And you check it all out. In fact, you visit an attorney and you say, can you make sure that this is for real? Because I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's actually people out there that lie. Scams. They will steal from you and promise things. But you check it out and, and you find out for sure. You don't just look it up on the internet. You actually go to a legitimate attorney who knows all about this stuff and he says, yep, in fact, I've made some calls. I know some people in that place and it's legit. All you have to do is sell everything you got, pick up your family and go here and you can have it. And it can be yours. But most people, no, that's God's offer to us. But most people, no matter how, how legit it is, will not do it. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, one of our memory verses, Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, set aside himself, do whatever God says, set aside his own will, take up his cross, die to himself, and obey, and follow me. And then the promise in John chapter 1, to all who did receive him, to all who did deny themselves, take up their cross, follow him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to all. That's love. That's love. So my question is, do you want to experience the depth and the breadth and the height of God's love every single day of your life? You can. But you've got to be willing to lay it all on Him. Love is the greatest. But we have to accept it. It's anchored in who God is. Would you bow your heads? As we've talked this morning, is there something that God put his finger on saying, um, if you want to experience my love, you've got to do this, change this, turn to me. It's not about earning his love. It's about walking into his arms. 
Anything that the Holy Spirit puts his finger on is because he wants you to experience more. It's not, the, it's not that he doesn't like certain things, it's just he knows they get in the way. And he doesn't want anything in between you and his love. So what do you need to change? What do you need to give up? What do you need to do different? The God of the universe loves you more than you will ever imagine. And there's nothing, not one thing, worth holding him at arm's length. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would lead us deeper into your love and experiencing your best for us. Whatever it takes, God. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would identify it and then lead us to how we can experience it with you and together with one another. Lord, I pray for folks who are struggling and and going through such hard times that it's just they're having a hard time breathing. I pray that you would pour out your presence upon them to give them encouragement and strength and direction. Lord, we give ourselves to you and, and ask that you would do whatever it takes in our lives to let us live a life of love with you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.